Well, if you're up on Facebook this morning, you got an idea of what we are getting into here today. If not, we'll give you a little bit of a surprise. We're going to be over to begin in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. There was a Sunday school teacher who came into the class and she asked the class, she said, if I were to sell my house, sell my car, take all the stuff I have in the house and sell it and take all of that money and give it to the poor, would I be saved? And all the kids answered with one accord, no. So the Sunday school teacher then came up and she said, if I were to take all my time and cut the lawn and clean the church and put all the stuff away and keep it neat and tend to all the needs that are in the church, would I be saved? Would I go to heaven? And all the kids in one accord said, no. And so she said again, if I went to all the prisons and all the hospitals and visited all the people that were in the prisons and visited all the people that were sick in the hospitals, would I be saved? Would I go to heaven? And all the kids in one accord said, no. And so finally, the Sunday school teacher asked the class, what must I do to go to heaven? And this one little five-year-old boy stood up and he says, you got to (laughs) die. Sometimes the answers we're looking for are really obvious and we just bypass them. And we just miss them. We're going to look here this morning. We've been hinting at this for a little while. How do I receive a healing? How do I receive a miracle that I need? If I'm not sure if it comes to me through the authority of Jesus Christ or the power of God. How do I know how to receive that? What do I have to do? What is my responsibility? Where do I need to go? Well, we're going to pick this up over in Mark chapter 3. But just to give you a quick review, last time, Jairus, we saw. Jairus, when he came to Jesus, he came to Jesus, right? He came to Jesus with a problem, a plan, and a proclamation of what would happen, didn't he? His problem is his daughter is dying. His plan, you come on back with me, lay hands on her. His proclamation, and I know she will live. That's pretty good. Then all of a sudden, the situation changed. And someone met him along the road and said, Hey, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus turned to Jairus and he said, Do not be afraid. Only believe. We saw that fear and worry are not afraid of the presence of God. Just because you are in the presence of God, just because you're in church, just because there's an anointing on you, fear and worry are not afraid of the presence of God. Jesus is standing right next to Jairus and fear wanted to come on him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Now, if the presence of God would take care of that, why doesn't Jesus just hug him? Flee and, uh, fear and worry are not afraid of the presence of God, but flee our faith in God. 
We told you last week, until we are ready to obey the general command, do not fear, do not worry, the things that are in the Word this way, we are not ready to even hear the specific command such as Peter heard, come. Come on the water. Walk on the water. We're not even in a place to hear that because we're not hearing the general. I've got to hear the general commands from him. Do not fear. Do not worry. Told you that faith combats fear, not symptoms. Faith is called the shield of faith, which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. So that's what faith is there to do. It is there to to stop those. His fiery darts are thoughts. Their fears, their worries. And faith will extinguish them all. If you can extinguish all the fear, all the worry out of your life, what is left but to believe God? And that's where we need to, need to be. But a lot of times we face something and it doesn't seem to change. And the enemy keeps coming up and saying, it's not changing. It's not changing. It must not be working. It must not be doing something right. What the enemy wants you to do is to stop doing what you've been doing. Because if he can get you to stop... He can get you defeated. So a whole lot of times, folks, we should just, just needed to keep on going with what we're doing. Now, we're going to go over this story. It has been a couple of years since we looked at this guy. It's a great story. Short, real short, but very effective. In Mark chapter 3, verse 1, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Now, we know a few things about this man simply because of the Greek language. The Greek language is far superior to English. I despised English in school. Loved Greek. Loved Greek. Could not get enough Greek. When I went to school, they didn't have a... uh, uh, After the first two years, they didn't have any more Greek. So I asked them if they would do a third year. Their teacher was so thrilled. He said, absolutely, you and me. And that's all who's going to be there, just him and I. (laughs) But I love the language. It just is such a great language. It is so descriptive. Here's what we know about this man because of the Greek language. When it says that the man had a withered hand, the tense of this phrase is such that his condition now is based upon a previous event. His current condition is based upon a previous event. This is a great text. We have no translation for this in English. It is the same tense that is used to describe Jesus' work on the cross. A past completed action having current and future ramifications. What this tells us is this man was not born with this condition, but he was injured. He was hurt. Tradition tells us, Jewish tradition is passed on, Jewish tradition tells us this man was a bricklayer and damaged his hand laying bricks. Either bricks fell on him. Somehow, we don't know, I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that in that profession, somehow he got hurt as, uh, according to the Jewish traditions. So he was not always this way. He was making a living, earning a living, and now his one hand is withered. So it's damaged somehow in that it does not extend, in that it is not useful, in that he cannot do some things 
with it that he once was able to do. So this man comes in and it's very obvious that he needs healing. What does Jesus do? He heals people. He's in there in the, on the synagogue. But they watched him closely whether he, he would heal him on the Sabbath. So what day of the week is it? It's the Sabbath. He's coming in there to the synagogue. They're having church. They wanted to see, well, is he going to do this? Now, according to the Jewish law, I mean, they were not real thrilled with healing to begin with on the Sabbath. You all know that from the other interactions. But it was lawful as long as it was life-threatening. In other words, if you are going to die today, then you may be healed. <laughs> that was their, their thing. This guy's had the withered hand for a while. He's not dying. There is no way to think that this condition is going to make him die by tomorrow. So you can come back and get healed then. So they watched him. Who is the him they are watching? They're watching Jesus. They watched him closely, whether he would be whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, think about this at work. Have you been at work and people have watched you closely to see if you would make a mistake, do something wrong? What does that feel like? They don't even have to tell you that they're watching you closely for you. Can't you just feel it? You just know this person is watching me, not because they are trying to learn from me, but they're trying to see me slip up. And pointing out to everybody that they can. So Jesus, is, he, he knows this is what's going on. If that is going on in the work environment, how many of you have been aware that people are watching someone else closely? Kind of gets around, doesn't it? More than likely, in this synagogue, more people than Jesus are aware that he's being watched closely to see if he would heal this man. That brings us to the next verse. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, not the other people, he's talking to the withered hand man. He says to him, step forward. That sounds innocent enough, doesn't it? Hey, come here for a minute. That's not what Jesus said. Here's what he said literally. If you say it literally, you read this, and you, what, what are we talking about here? Here's what he actually said. Be arising in the midst. In other words, you feel this stuff that's going on here? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> in other words, we're not avoiding this. I want you to rise up. I want you to move forward. I want you to stand in the midst of all that is going on right here. If you are the man, what do you say? Now, he's feeling pressure. You've been in this position before, haven't you? You're feeling pressure from the people that are watching. These are the folks that inhabit the synagogue all the time. These are the people that he has to interact with every time he comes to synagogue. And then there's a guest speaker. How often is he here? Well, he's here today. Maybe he's here next Sabbath. But eventually he's going to go on to some other towns. He's not here all the time. These guys are. If you are the man with the withered hand, who are you more willing to please? The guest speaker? Or the people that can make trouble for you all week long? So when Jesus says, be arising into the midst, he is really telling this guy, 
I know this is tough. But I need you to rise up into this. Now, why does Jesus call on people? Jesus ever called on people that he didn't want healed? Or just to come up and say, you know, I know you got that condition. Tell you what, if you come back tomorrow, has he ever said that? So what's this man know if he's been called out? I'm getting healed. Can you see that he could be mixed with both joy and sadness? Hey, I'm getting healed, but oh, I'm getting healed <laughs> on this Sabbath. What are they going to think about this? Now, here's the thing. The man did not come for healing. This is huge. You got to he did not come to the meeting for the purpose of being healed. Other people sought out Jesus for the purpose of being healed. Jairus sought out Jesus. My daughter needs to be healed. We have other ones. They sought out Jesus for the purpose of being healed. This guy does it. He's just showing up at church. Probably like he normally does. Just in the temple, worshiping God. This is part of his routine. How many of you have a routine? A routine that you do. Sometimes you get under conviction of that. But in order, you know, say that you have to be at work at 8 o'clock. How many of you have a routine that gets you at work by 8 o'clock? I know I have to be up by, I don't know, 6 o'clock. I know it takes me 30 minutes to get ready. I know that it takes me another 15 to get something to eat. And then it takes me so much time to get to the car, in the car, to the place that I'm going. And you have it all mapped out. And then something happens. Something happens to mess up your routine. Uh, a whole bunch of things can happen. Have you ever had it that you didn't wake up at 6 o'clock? You woke up at 6.20. Does that mess up with your routine? Uh-huh. Yeah. There's all kinds of things that can happen to your routine. Maybe you're driving to the train station, driving to work, and there's an accident, there's a block in the road. Something happens. Unexpected. Now, if you have an expected delay, say that it, you find out the night before, the day before, it's going to snow tomorrow. Snow is going to be on the roads. Don't you alter your routine? Well, instead of getting up at 6, maybe I'll get up at 5 because i got to clean off the car. i got to get, get there, and it's probably going to take me a little bit longer to get there. I just want to make sure that we're, we're there on time. You alter the routine, but surprises, they can be, uh, they can be a mess. But you have a routine. Now, have you, anybody ever raised a puppy? Anybody ever not raised a puppy? Wow, all you folks have missed out. That's such a shame. <laughs> if you all ever raise a puppy, and for those who, who have raised a puppy, if you want a real easy way to potty train your puppy, this is how you do it. Real easy to do. Easier than children to potty train is a dog. All you have to do is get on a schedule and let that dog out every day at the same time. Say like 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, every two hours, at whatever time that you come up with, but every day do it. If you do every day at the same time, the dog learns the schedule. He learns the routine. Dogs love routines. They just love them. And if you take that dog out every morning, it knows I'm going outside and I, he won't be inside the house. Once he learns that you will let him outside to go, he, he will wait until you let him out. 
Wonderful little things. They just are programmed that way. They love routines. Cats are a completely different animal. There is no routine with a cat, and they are more pleased with planning how to kill you. At least it seems that way. I don't know. <laughs> they're just different. I don't know. People like them. They're, they're sweet and all that sort of But they do not care about the, the routines too much. That when I'm hungry, you feed me. That's a cat. Dog, they get very used to when you're going to feed them, when you're going to let them out, when it's bedtime. Very much into the routine. Love the routine. If you can stick with that, you got your dog trained. But we have routines. We all, we all develop routines. Sometimes your routine on Monday is different from your routine on Tuesday or Wednesday. But you have a routine. You have a, a, a thing that you, that you do, a thing that you follow, which is good. There is nothing wrong with a routine. Some routines are very beneficial and very good. Some routines are not. If you have a routine of stopping at every McDonald's that you pass, that may be a bad routine. That may have uh, adverse effects that you, that you may not want. But for this man, this is part of his routine. It's a good part of the routine. Showing up at church on the Sabbath. That's what he did. He's over there. Do you remember some other people had routines we looked at? The man at the pool of Bethesda. What happened? What was his routine? Here we go. We have people that that uh, that that would go to these these places. They would do these things. The blind Bartimaeus, he's on the road. That's his routine. This is where I sit. This is where I beg. This is where people come by and they give me money. Hopefully, they have a routine. That routine was helpful for him. It was good. But this man, he didn't come for healing. He just came for church. And then Jesus called, called him out. Hey, step up. Now, he had to react to that. He had to stop what he was doing and listen to what Jesus was saying. Here's the thing. Even though I may not be prepared to receive from God, I'd better be willing to get ready when he calls. You may be going through your routine and are not prepared to receive from God. But if he gives you something, what should you do with it? Now, we've told you this all the time with Revelation. How many times have I told you this about Revelation? I do that not just to remind you. I have to remind me as well. Because there's still times that I get Revelation and, well, I can't really write that down right now. And um, I have to figure out ways to, uh, ways to do this. To, um, you know, I've got ways to, to write down Revelation just about any time, any place, anywhere, except... When I'm out running, it's like, dear God, please don't talk to me. <laughs> but, you know, you don't really want to say that. Right? <laughs> so Revelation comes, says, all right, I've got to remember this until I can get home. And do, <laughs> I haven't figured out a way to, to do that just yet. But um, mm, most, most of the time I'm able to remember until I get home. Fortunately, you know, I'm not running forever. It does, it does stop eventually, and then you, you get on home and you... Trying to write that thing down. But, you know, even that, that's all part of a routine. Getting up, getting in the shower, getting your exercise in, do, doing different things. I was just listening to somebody who said, uh, talked about the routines of rich people, well-to-do people, successful people, and poor people. And uh, some of the routines 
were, and they're, they're in the percentages of uh, like 70, 80% of rich people read so much per day. 70, 80% of poor people watch TV for that same period of time. And it's just, uh, it, it just goes back and forth be, between this. As you know, the rich, successful people exercise on a regular basis. 70, 80% of them exercise, some kind of exercise. I mean, some of them may just go out and play racquetball or something like that. I don't know what they're, they don't say what the exercise is, but they, they have that into their, their routine. Um, people who are poor and unsuccessful uh, don't. And it went on down the list. And you can find these lists. You can go up on the Internet and you can find all kinds of lists. Habits of successful people, habits of unsuccessful people. And, uh, and take a look at those. But it's amazing how much certain routines help you and certain routines do not. But when God begins to speak to you, get yourself ready. If you want to, how many of y'all want to grow in the wisdom of God, grow in the knowledge of God? We all want to. I mean, isn't that good? Yeah, when he wakes you up at 3 a.m. in the morning and gives you revelation... You better show them how much you, you mean it. Because I'll tell you, if you ask God for revelation, if you ask God to show you stuff, if you ask God to teach you stuff, He will at the most inconvenient time possible. He will. He will do it. It's on purpose. I know it's on purpose. Because He's going to say, do you really want it? Do you really want this? Well, I do, but right now I really want sleep. And that was that tell God, all right, well, you want it, but not quite that bad. Let me know when you really want it. And he said to the man, verse, uh, verse 3, And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Hmm. It's all how you phrase the question, isn't it? You can phrase the same question two different ways and get two different answers. But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Well, this is what he can't do. But Jesus is always doing that to people who need a touch of the power of God. He will tell them to do something that they cannot do. The man on the, on the bed laying down, What's he say to him? Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Can he do that? No. What's he say to the lepers? Go show yourself to the priest. Can they do that? No. Not unless something changed. You are not to go to the priest to be inspected unless you can point to a change. So when he sends them on their way, he is sending them to do something they cannot do. But on the way, they got changed. <laughs> Not good. All right, we can keep on going. We've already looked at a number of them, but stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. So he doesn't argue. He goes in ahead, and he, he does whatever he can't do, stretches it out. And as he's doing this, it becomes healed right before their eyes. Can you imagine him being in church and seeing the guy you've seen him week after week after week, withered hand, and all of a sudden he just raises that thing up? And right before your eyes, it becomes unwithered. Whatever the condition was, I've seen different suppositions about what it might look like and so forth, but don't know exactly. But he stretched it out, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. So before he stretched it out, it was not as whole as the other. After he stretched it out, it was as whole as the other. 
And whatever was done with that hand, it was visible. Stretch it out. So he did. I put this in your outline. We've said this in a number of different ways. But for your faith to be stretched, you must attempt what is either difficult or impossible. Stop doing what's easy. Do what's difficult or impossible. Now, here's the thing for you to to get hold of. Questioning without doing is doubt. Right? Questioning without doing is doubt. Doing without questioning is faith. All you got to do is flip-flop a little bit. Questioning without doing, that's doubt. Doing without questioning, that's faith. Generally, the ability of the source is the root of any questioning. That's the problem. Do I really think the source will, will make it through? Do I really think that? Have you ever been on a source, a bridge you've never been on before? Do you stop and think, well, I wonder if that bridge will, will hold me up? What do you usually do? Drive over the bridge. You may think, well, I wonder if this bridge will hold me up, but it's not enough to keep you from doing it. Well, it says, then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So they are mad that he healed someone on what day? On the Sabbath. So they go out and plan how to kill someone on the Sabbath. And this is okay. I'll tell you what, folks. Don't argue with unbelievers. You cannot understand their logic. Can't understand it. How does this make any sense that we can talk about Someone who's actually our enemy. Herodians and them, they're, they're enemies. They don't like each other. We can talk with folks that are our enemy to plan the death of someone who's doing good on the Sabbath, but he can't heal them. What did Jesus say? Is it right to do good or evil? To take a life on the Sabbath. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't he predict what it is they're going to do? All right. Now, story we skipped over last week. Now, a certain woman, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 25, you all know this story. We're not going to cover all the details of this story. We've covered a number of times. We're going after here looking for one thing. What do I have to do to tap into the power of God or the authority of Jesus Christ when I need it? Now, the man with the withered hand, any question as to what was present for him to be healed? Power of God issue right there. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. This woman had a routine. For 12 years, she has suffered with this, this blood issue, bleeding issue. 12 years. Her routine was this. Beside her routine to deal with the bleeding, she had a routine of going to different doctors, paying the different doctors whatever money she had and not being healed. Then finding another doctor, getting her hope up that this doctor was what had the right way, paying the money and not being healed. Finding another doctor, hearing what they had to say. Beginning to get hope and faith in that doctor. Giving them the money only to not be healed. That's a routine, isn't it? 
She did this over and over again until all her money was gone. She paid lots of money. They put her through all kinds of stuff. But she was no better. In fact, it says she grew worse. That's a routine. Now, if we look at this woman's routine, going to the doctors, giving them the money, not getting any better. Would we say that that routine is good or that that routine is bad? We would generally take a look at the, the uh, output that she has on that and say, that's a bad routine. And we would probably fall in line with her friends who would counsel her whenever she would find a new doctor. Don't spend your money. Don't get your hopes up. And sure enough, she would go. She would do it. What do you think those friends said when she came back? Told you not to do it. I told you to save your money. I told you not to get your hopes up. Wish you would have listened to me. That's what we do. Now, as we said, there's good routines and there's bad ones. Some feed our faith and others our doubts. If you have a routine that if you can worry about something, you will, that's a bad routine. That will feed your doubts. If you have a routine that you will believe the best, no matter what, that's a good routine. That builds your faith. But how many of y'all know it can go down the wrong, wrong path sometimes too? Some routines feed our growth and some are decline. Stopping at McDonald's, everyone that you see, will feed your growth. It's not a good growth. It's not one that you necessarily want. But it will feed it. You've got to make sure that you do the things to, to grow right. <laughs> grow correctly. Grow the right way. Some things are going to be uh, giving you decline. You've got to identify the good ones. Identify the bad ones. Stay away from the bad routines. Pull in those good routines. Routines are not bad. We talked about routines before. How God develops us doing what's in front of us to do. Joseph was developed by doing a routine. And when God was ready to move him in that spot, he was ready to move. Others had the same thing. Verse 29. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. What healed her? Her faith. Her faith had made her whole. That would tell us that she had some kind of routine going on that fed her faith. Well, it tells us in verse 27 that when she heard about Jesus, just like she heard about the other doctors, when she heard about Jesus, her routine is get her hopes up, put her faith out there, and then she would make an investment. She would invest in that particular doctor. She'd give them money. She'd do different things, whatever it might be. But she made an investment. She followed through and often came disappointed. Somehow, this woman, because of this routine, heard about Jesus. And though for 12, can you imagine this? 12 years of disappointment. 12 years of seeking after doctors. Twelve years of having promises. 
12 years. Come on, you folks get tired after 12 months. I get tired after 12 months. I mean, get, get 12 years. After 12 years, would you be able to just hear about Jesus and have faith? Why was she able to do this? Because she had developed a routine. Her routine was, when I hear something, I let it feed my hope. I let it feed my faith. And then I make an investment. I make a personal investment. And I do the thing. I pursue it. I go after it. That's what she did. She did this on a regular basis. And when she heard about Jesus, she did the exact same thing she did with the other doctors. She had developed a routine. Routines are not bad. Routines are good. Routines mean you have a normal way of going and something has to come along to knock you out of it. Some routines we've had for a long time. Long, long time. That's, that's, a, that's a, quite a routine. You know, I'm, I do a lot of reading in, in some areas that you probably don't, but one of the areas I was reading about, they had a, um, a challenge in one of the uh, running groups I'm in. And as they built up this challenge, it was a 40-day challenge. They wanted you to run as many days in succession as you could. And, so, you know, I just go to the extreme with it, 40 days. All right, that means all 40 days I have to run. Well, in the talking about this, they, they brought up two guys who ended up being best friends who ran every day of their life. And they kept that streak going for over 60 years. They were in their 80s, and they were still doing it. I think at 85, the first guy skipped a day. He still was running, but he skipped a day. He said, that you're just tired of the streak and all the pressure. Now you think, all right, 65, you know, maybe he just went out and ran a mile just to keep it going. That was not the case. They gave a lot of details about these guys. These guys were, they were something. <laughs> I don't know about you, but for me personally, they were my heroes. The shortest run they did was 10 miles. Now, the one guy said there was one time that he really had a challenge. And he almost lost his streak. And that was a day that he was scheduled for surgery. So what he did was he got up real early in the morning before the surgery and he ran his miles. He went in for the surgery, had the surgery, came out the next day at home, and guess what he did? <laughs> kept the streak going and kept on, kept on running after that. I mean, that is just something else. That is a routine. Now, why do you have routines like that? Why do things like that go on? Have you ever had a routine that you wanted to have and never could get it going? How many of you want to have a routine? I wish I could exercise every day. I hear these people, they exercise, they go lift weights, they run, they bike. They, I just wish every day I could get that in. Oh, it just seems like every day I have such trouble, such difficulty. I want to read on a regular basis. I want to do this, whatever it is. You have something. I wish that was in my routine. I try and do it. I do it for a couple of days. I do it for a week. I do it maybe a couple of weeks. But it just doesn't seem that I can get that into my schedule for very long. I heard somebody use this example. It's a great example. 
Have you ever seen a train going on down the tracks? Those trains, when they get going, if you see the big freight train, all the different cars, all the things, all that weight. And here comes that train. What does it take to stop that train? Oh, it, can, it takes a lot of... Those trains can knock things out of their way. Oh, they, it takes a whole lot. But do you know that if you took that same train before it started and put a small pebble or stick in front of the wheel, that train would never get going. The thing that makes the train unstoppable is the momentum that it has. The hardest thing for a train is to get started. If you ever see them get started, you know they're very slow. It's kind of move along, especially if it's a long train. Long train, very slow getting started. All that energy, try and get it and it moves an inch, two inches, three inches. It barely seems like it's going to get out of your way. This is especially bad when it's in front of the road you're trying to get through. It's just, it's, it's not good. But once that train gets going, it's hard to stop. It's momentum. Y'all need some momentum going on. And in a routine, you establish momentum. And the whole thing of not breaking the routine is to not break the momentum. That's why you, you don't want to break the routine. You want to keep going. How many of you have been doing the read a chapter every day for a while? That gets you some momentum. It gets to be part of your, your life. It gets to, that momentum's going, on. no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my chapter today. I'm going to get in and we're going we're gonna to read this. There's momentum that's there. Your routine will build up momentum. <clears throat> when that momentum gets going, it is difficult for anything to stop you. Because of that momentum. Can be stopped, but it's difficult. Your routine will give you momentum. Here's the thing, and this, this is the common factor with all of these cases that we have looked at. The man at the pool had a routine that someone carried him, some people carried him to the pool and left them there. That's his routine. He described that routine. Blind Bartimaeus had a routine. This woman with the issue of blood... She had a routine. Peter and his buddies in the fishing had a routine. We would go out fishing at night. We would come in in the morning. We would wash the nets. We would go get some rest. We would go out the next night and go fishing again. That's their routine. In the routine, day in, day out, doing the same thing, in every one of those routines, something was spoken to the person in the routine. The man who's at the pool. What's he have? What's he here? Rise up. Take up your bed. And walk. If the man does not follow his routine. Does he ever hear that? Blind Bartimaeus. On the road. Same spot. Following his routine. If he's not in his routine. Does he hear that Jesus is coming? You don't hear it. These folks have a routine. They have something that they do on a regular basis. In that routine, they heard a revelation. Here's the thing, folks. Your routine will give God an opportunity to give you 
Revelation. Put that in your outline for your routine with the arrow. Revelation. You're in a routine, then all of a sudden, Revelation comes to you. Joseph is in a routine, and Revelation comes to him about the dream, right? He's in a routine, Revelation comes to him. Daniel is in his routine, Revelation comes to him. He's in a routine. We're doing the same thing. We're in school, we're doing the the eating of the vegetables that we're doing, and then all of a sudden they start to kill everybody. What's going on? Well, the king had a dream. No one can interpret it. Wait a minute. I'll get the revelation. He's in the routine. He gets the revelation. This man with the withered hand is in a routine. He shows up at church every Sabbath. He's not asking for anything. Wasn't coming and asking Jesus, Jesus, heal my withered hand. He just came into the service. His routine produced a revelation. Jesus said, stand up. Stretch forth your hand. And the Word of God tells us it became just as good as the other. The woman with the issue of blood in her routine. When she heard, she had faith, she had hope, she acted. She invested. She heard about Jesus. She followed the same routine she's been following. And what happened? Tapped into the power of God. Your routine, be it a good one, of course, not a bad one. You've got to identify good and bad routines. In a, in a good routine, God can speak revelation to you. This is what you need to hear. You're in a routine, and then God says, do this. You're in a routine. You go out and you fish at nighttime. You wash the nets in the morning. You put them away, you go get some rest. And then Jesus says, I want you to break your routine. I want you to cast out now in the daytime and let down your nets for a catch. Peter says, we've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing, but at your word, we'll do it. Here's the thing, folks. Your routine can produce revelation, but if you look on the line below, your routine can also produce something else, and that is ritual. Your routine can produce a ritual that you are not willing to change. And there's security in your ritual. But never revelation. God can't speak to your revelation because you're in your ritual. The Pharisees were in ritual. Their routine had produced a ritual. Something they did, not looking for God to speak to them in it, but something they did for the appearance of the people, something they did for their own security, something they did because they thought this is what's supposed to happen. Routine can produce revelation. Routine can also produce ritual. Now, here's the thing. If you go in the way routine is producing revelation, it then needs to produce a response. And this is where the healing, the miracle, the thing that you need comes from. It's in your response to the revelation that you got. You're in your routine. The enemy is going to say, why do you keep going to church? Why do you keep praying to God? Why do you keep going into the word of God? Has it changed anything? Aren't you still facing the same thing? Isn't the same battle still there? Haven't you heard that before? Why? Because the enemy wants to get you to stop 
your routine because he knows that in the routine has come revelation. Go back into the Old Testament. What was a certain person who would eventually become king, what was their routine? They watched sheep. During the course of watching those sheep, a lion came along. And he killed the lion. A bear came along. And he killed the bear. And then he went back to his routine. And then his father says, I need you to do something else for me. I need you to take these things to your brothers. And he follows these, the instructions, takes them over to his brothers, which he's done before. And then all of a sudden, he hears Goliath's challenge. But see, because he was in a routine, and because revelation had come, I can kill a lion. I can kill a bear. He saw that Philistine, and he says, just as I killed the lion, just as I killed the bear, the Philistine will be just like it. When he killed the giant, his routine changed. His routine then became, sometime after that, now his routine is playing the harp for the king. Eventually, his routine became going in and out before the king as a warrior. And he was successful at that. And then he changed to another routine, running away from the king. But all through that, God kept giving him revelation, kept speaking to him. Your routine can change. Make sure it changes to another good one. But as you follow the routine, listen to the voice of God. Because all these folks, whether they needed the touch of the power of God or to take authority through the name of Jesus Christ, it's the routine that brought the revelation. In the routine came the revelation. You want another one? Peter, while he's waiting for food to be made ready, he goes up on the roof. How many times do you think Peter has gone up on the roof to either meditate on the things of God or they're taking that. It's probably pretty common. He wasn't. We don't ever find Peter making food. We find Peter catching food. We find Peter eating food. We don't find people preparing food. He lets other people prepare the food. He goes up on the roof. On the roof, what came to him? A revelation. A vision. You go through the word of God. And you think about this. How many people are in their everyday normal routine when God spoke to them, gave them revelation, which they acted on, and they got their miracle, changed their life. But you have to be ready to hear. If you're just in ritual, it's not going to do it. How do you know if you're in ritual? Not anybody here in this church. Other churches in other states and other countries, they may have this problem. Not here. <clears throat> I know that. I don't just say that would be funny. I know. But other, other places, there are some churches where people show up just so they can check off the box, I was at church. They don't listen. They don't worship. They don't really care about God. I just know I need to be in church. These people particularly like it when the service is only 20 or 30 minutes long. Get to check my box and have more free time. It's ritual. Can God speak to those people? Uh-uh. Not at all. Now, think back into your Old Testament. I'll tell you why. The, the examples you have in this are just astounding. I hope your own mind begins to process these things and begin to go. 
there was a certain king in Israel who had a routine. The thought came to him that this routine is not good and will be detrimental to your kingdom. And so what he did was he changed the routine. He changed from a good routine to a bad routine and destroyed his legacy and his nation. That king's name was handpicked by God to rule his people. His name was Jeroboam. Jeroboam had the thought, if the people continue on their routine, I'm putting that in there, on the routine to go to Jerusalem and sacrifice to their God, they will eventually tire of me and return to the house of David. So he set up for himself two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan. These are your gods who led you up out of the land of Israel or land of Egypt. And he began to make priests of all tribes, not just the Levites. And he created his own feast days different from the ones that God set up. He set up his own routine. And God came and said, I'm disappointed. I would have made you a permanent house, just like I did David. But now I won't. And Jeroboam was gone. And how often in the book of Second Kings, those who are coming out on Wednesday nights or those who listen on the MP3s, how often do we hear, and they followed in all the sins of Jeroboam. He changed the routine. Changed it to a bad routine. What are the good routines that you have going on right now in your life? See, if you stay in those good routines and God gives you revelation in those routines and you respond in those routines, you know what comes next? A return. There's not a person in the Bible that you can find who did not follow this path and did not get a return. Not a single one. They got a return. If you follow the way of ritual, what you will have instead is resistance. God will resist you because you have fallen into pride. Now, these patterns can be in faith. They can be in areas of ministry. They can be other aspects of our, of our life as well. We can get into ritual. And people who fall into ritual in the area of ministry, real easy to find. They guard their ministry. Well, what are you doing? Doing that? Why are you taking on my spot? See, because it's ritual. God would have you be in that area of ministry, be trained up, and then moved on to something else, the whole while training somebody else to take up that area of ministry so they can step in and you can move on to something, something different. But you see, I got into ritual. And now all my importance is in that ministry. So God can no longer speak revelation to me in that anymore because I'm in ritual and he'll resist me. It'll hurt you. Hurt you in the area of ministry. Don't, don't follow in that way. Other aspects of your life can follow this pattern as well. Don't get into ritual. Stay in the area of revelation. Routine produce, can produce revelation. God can speak something to you because you're in your, your routine. You're in your normal things that you do. Just driving to work and God spoke something to you. Look at it this way. How many of you have ever lost something in your house and looked for an hour to try and find it and couldn't find it? It just it could, it wasn't there. You couldn't find it. Most of the time that you find it is when you return to your routine. 
and put it out of your mind and begin to just go through what you normally do. And then all of a sudden you come up, oh, that's where I put it. Isn't that right? Routines are good. Put this in your outline. Maintain your good routines and shed the bad ones. Are your routines done in faith and hope? And are we looking for revelation? Revelation will come as you continue in your routine. What has God given you to do? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. If you're a parent, keep parenting. That's a good routine. As you do that, God will show you some things. He will teach you some things about parenting, about Him as you parent. You got a job? Keep doing that job. God will teach you the things you need to know in whatever job you are in. He can use it as a, as a learning. He taught David how to be king while he's a shepherd. If he can do that, he can teach you stuff at your job. Whatever it is your routine is, keep doing it. Don't let the devil tell you. That's no good. Look how long you've been doing that. It's not helping you out at all. It's not benefiting you at all. And eventually, if he wears you down, you can stop doing it. But you'll be hard-pressed to find people who are not in a routine that God did not speak to. And when he spoke to them, they obeyed it. And what they were told to do connected them to the power of God or moved them into a place to receive from the authority. They didn't have to figure it all out. They just kept on doing the routine. What's your routine? Are there some parts of your routine that you don't like but you know are good for you? Are there some parts of your routine that you know are detrimental? Shed what you know to be bad. Preserve what you know to be good. And listen for God to speak to you. Expect that God will speak to you. Be like the woman with the issue of blood. That when you hear, you can put hope and faith to it. And make a connection. What's your routine? Y'all stand up with me. Oh, Father, it's so easy for us to neglect the things we do on a daily basis or to view them as unimportant, not valuable. But, Father, they are. Whatever you have us doing on a regular basis, you count on us doing. The enemy wants to sow seeds to get us to stop doing what we're doing, telling us it's ineffective, it's no good, it's not helping us. But, Father, it's in those routines. It's in those assignments. It's in those things we do on a regular basis that while we are doing them, you come and you speak to us. The examples in the Word of God are just so many. So many. Moses is in his routine, taking care of the animals in the wilderness, and you showed up in a burning bush. So many places, Father, in the Bible, people were doing what you had told them to do, what their hand found to do, and in that you spoke to them. So, Father, we believe today that you're still here to speak to us. And we receive that. Whatever routines we are in, our ears are attentive for our God to speak. And to say something like, take up your bed and walk. 
Whatever it is that you say to us, Father, we need to do it without questioning. Step out in faith to trust and believe you. And we will see miracles. We will see those things that have hindered us fall away. Our lives will change. We get our expectation there. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. My wife had something to share about some things she had uh, received from God on this on this line. Uh, hopefully our yellow mic is still working. By his stripes I am healed. And to sickness I will not yield. And that brought up to my remembrance here of Lillian B. Yeomans. How many of you have ever heard of her? Lillian B. Yeomans was a um, great woman of faith who had a great healing ministry early in the, uh, the late 18, actually the late 1800s into the 1900s. And she came up with this. The Lord kept revealing to her the revelation on how to get out of sickness and what things to do. And she started by just going to the Word of God. And she came up with this um, redeemed from the curse. You know, in Galatians, says we've been redeemed. Christ been made a curse for us. He said, redeemed from the curse, redeemed from the curse, since Jesus has set me free. Redeemed from the curse, redeemed from the curse, since Jesus has ransomed me. Now that in and of itself is awesome. But then she went on. For sickness, I have health. For poverty, I have wealth, since Jesus has set me free. And the Lord kept telling me, well, there's more to it than just that. Redeemed from the curse. Well, what was the curse? The curse of the law of sin and death. Well, everything that is in that curse, we have been redeemed from. So for sorrow, I have joy. For poverty, I have wealth. For weakness, I have strength. For sorrow, we said joy. For ashes, I have beauty. Okay. He said for confusion, I have a sound mind. For brokenness, I have wholeness. And complete in Him. For grief, He gives me comfort. For bondage, He gives me freedom. How many times have we fallen into the routine of looking at our circumstances from the natural standpoint? We see things in the physical realm instead of utilizing the standard that we should, you know, basically live our, our lives by and judge our lives by. He has given us all the promises of God in Christ are what? Yes and amen to those who love Him. If we are called by Him, if we belong to Him, that all of the promises of God belong to us. And we need to set ourselves, like Pastor was teaching today, about getting a routine of looking at a circumstance. And before we automatically go to what that circumstance is in the natural, what does God say about it? If it's contrary to what the Word says, then God calls it an evil report. I love how the Word just kind of, it all comes full circle. There is everything that we need in that Word to give us life and godliness, to give us a full life. You know, how many times we hear people when they get up there in age, they say, well, I'm just old and my body's just wearing out. And they'll use that scripture that says that the outward man perishes. Well, that's true, but this is what the Lord spoke to me this morning. He says, but doesn't the word also say that his spirit quickens our mortal body? Amen. There's another scripture. He says that we shall mount up with wings like eagles. We will run and not be weary. That's two scriptures. And he says also that with long life will I satisfy you. And this is what the Lord spoke to me and I started chuckling. He says, I didn't promise you just existence. I didn't say just with long existence. 
It's long life. How is it life if you can't do things? How is it life if you can't enjoy it? Amen? So make it a routine to go back to the Word of God. Whenever a situation comes up, a circumstance, anything comes up in your life, use the Word as your standard. And then, like Ethel encourages today, make up a little ditty about it. Something's going to remind you. Redeemed from the curse since Jesus has set me free. Whatever you have to do, make it a sing-song. Make it a poem. Like she said, plaster it all over your house. Get it in you. Because the enemy doesn't like that. He doesn't like that when we set up those routines. And he's going to fight us on it. But when we start doing it, God gives us the strength. He gives us greater revelation. And it becomes a part of us. That revelation isn't just, oh, I got an idea. No, it becomes a part of you. And that's, that's exciting to me. So that was what he was sharing with me this morning. That all the promises of God in Christ are given to us. They are yes and amen. And we need to um, step up and step out is what he was saying. Oh, praise reports. Does anybody else have a praise report? No, come on. Homework from last weekend. What's that? Homework from last. What was the homework? I skipped the homework lesson. Okay, Nick said yesterday, Chelsea and I were at the library, and I was studying for my exam that is tomorrow that I passed already because I have victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of my study, a promise came into my spirit. Genesis 28:15. Behold, I am with you and keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not, <coughs> excuse me, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. He is always with us and was with us from the beginning. So how can we fail in anything that He wills? We can't. He is always with us, and there are tons of benefits to that. Amen. <laughs> now I had a praise report. I had an opportunity to speak to two of my brothers who are not saved um, about walking in the favor of God. And I definitely had their attention when we were talking about it. It's funny how when you start talking about money and people look at you and they go, well, you don't make as much as I do. How come you're prospering more? Well, it's the favor of God. Now you got their attention. Um, My other praise report is that I was finally able to do jumping jacks for the first time since my surgery, (laughs) which has been almost a year now. So I was finally able to get it up and going. So any other praise reports? Nope. Okay, just a couple announcements. Please don't forget to look at the backboard there if you have any questions about those ministries that you want to be involved with. Um, please see me about it. Also, the Easter baskets, if anybody's interested in doing those or being a part of those, don't forget to bring, in, um, uh, bring those in. And class today, Mike is teaching again on um, Good Foundations class. So you can stay. We'll be starting up around 1 o'clock. <coughs> yep. And then next week, we'll have the, end, the first of the end times class. We'll be... Uh, be that again the same time one one fifteen somewhere around there we'll give you time to go out there and get something to eat. You could also feel free to bring a lunch here, eat in the kitchen, if you prefer to do that. We'll have those uh, going on each each of the Sundays here for a little while. We'll just be alternating every other week for each one. So that's what's um, what's going on here. Uh, Wednesday we have the midweek service finishing up Second Kings chapter fifteen. We've got about four kings of Israel we're going to go through as we're getting near the end of the northern tribes. And we are going in a downhill direction at this point. Uh, I think Jeroboam II took it up about the highest it was going to be. And now we're going down on on a progressive downhill. So that's going to be on Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week. Hope to see some of you here on Wednesday. And bless some folks before before you get out.